Talk 93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is Inside Columbia with Fred Derry. Ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And good morning and welcome to the Inside Columbia Show. Great to have you all with us this morning as we continue to make our way through the COVID-19 crisis here in Boone County. Our guest this morning is Matt McCormick, who is the president of the Columbia Chamber of Commerce. And we're going to spend some time this morning talking about uh, the impact on local businesses and uh, how the COVID-19 crisis and the uh, associated uh, stand, stay-at-home orders have affected our local businesses. Uh, Matt, great to have you this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Well, this has been a, a kind of a stressful time for a lot of people, and I'm sure that you're yeah. hearing from a, a lot of businesses. But before we begin talking about COVID-19, uh-huh. let's spend a little bit of time talking about the Chamber of Commerce itself for people that are maybe not familiar with sort of everything the Chamber does. But uh, tell us a little bit more about the Chamber of Commerce. How many members do you have? So we have about a thousand members. Um, so uh, that are made up of small businesses, large businesses, and all different type of industry sectors. Yeah, good. And how long has the chamber been around? So we've been around for right at 115 years, and uh, so we we uh, we've been around for a good while uh, in the chamber industry. I think we've actually been around longer than the U.S. Chamber. Oh, uh, but wow. yeah, 115 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you came from Texas. Uh, you've been I here did. five or six years. How long you been here, Matt? Seven years. Seven years. Wow. Seven years for me. Yeah. Okay. Time flies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> talk a little bit about the difference uh, in the in sort of that chamber that you came from and that business mm-hmm. community and how it compares to Columbia. Yeah, so I actually ran uh, two different chambers down in Texas in the Dallas metro area before coming up to Columbia. And so there are some differences. You know, we joke around a lot in our industry that, you know, once you've seen one chamber, you've seen exactly one chamber because chambers kind of fluctuate. The core things they do, which is helping business do business, we all do that. But then how we do it. It kind of varies from from community to community, and what those what the what does that business community in that local city need from their from their chamber? So some of the big differences uh, between Columbia and where I was prior to Columbia, uh, we're probably a little bit more legislatively active than what we our organization was down there, mm-hmm. um, for a couple different reasons. And one of the main ones is, you know, whenever we were whenever I was in Louisville and we were just north of Dallas, you know, we were one of probably a hundred chambers within just the Dallas metroplex. Hmm. And so it's a little, you know, it's, it's harder to have a, you have to work. Um, it's probably a little harder to have a louder, bigger voice in that arena. Uh, just as a competition, if you will. Uh, and here, what's great in Missouri, you know, you've got, you've got uh, St. Louis and Kansas city and Springfield and then us being the fourth largest city. And so we have that ability to be probably a little bit more legislatively active than what my old chamber was, um, you know, just, due to our due to the makeup of our community and such and also where we're located next you know 25 30 minutes from the capital uh, helps out a lot in that arena um and so and then probably other other differences kind of what i said before is just if you say if if you look at chamber of commerce competition if you will um you know there in the dallas area how many we had there versus uh, what we have here in in our region or in our state um you have a little bit of differences in that so yeah 
Well, it's you know it's interesting. You you talk about legislative um, uh, activity. This has been a strange year uh, for yeah. legislative activity. Yeah. But uh, back when you sort of kicked off the year, and and I know it took uh, several attempts to kick off the year because of uh, uh, snowstorms and and weather events. Yeah. But but when yeah. you're able to finally present your legislative agenda to your membership, what were yeah. some of the things you were going to focus on this year for for the the chamber? You know, if you start taking a look at, say, um, our local legislative agenda, so we do one on the local level, and then we also do a state legislative agenda. Um, so we started talking, taking a look at uh, our local one, and like you said, uh, this year, this calendar year was kind of hard to get kicked off because it seemed like every time we turned around, we were getting snowed out of things. Um, so we were talking about things, uh, you know, such as support for the terminal expansion and continuing that process, um, working with uh, the city and making sure that budgets um, – Budgets match, you know, your community's endorsed priorities. Uh, looking at uh, the uh, Wayfair tax, the online sales tax, how's that? And that, that actually fell on both our local and our state level agendas. Yeah. Uh, so those were some of the local things that we we're working on on the state level. Uh, again, the Wayfair was probably one of our top priorities that we had there, uh, along with uh, the airport as well. But we also had in, in there things with the university, NextGen, um, and those projects that they uh, that we had going on. We found out this week uh, that uh, the university, I, uh, if I if I'm reading the email correct, uh, it looks like we took a 36 million dollar hit on the university from yeah. the legislature, and then the NextGen. Uh, uh, project is really not getting the love that it deserves from the legislature. I, I think it's, uh, I think some work that Sarah Walsh did allows them to keep, yeah. um, uh, some of the funding, but, um, it, do you feel like that was going to be a high priority for the legislature before we, we hit this financial mess? You know, I do. I really do. And I hope that they can find ways to continue to make it a high priority on next gen, especially because next gen is the type of thing that, uh, that the type of research that helps not only just our community or our state, but our, our nation of how do we navigate things like what we're in the middle with, middle of all this, this COVID-19 and what does that, what does that research have? That's the type of stuff that it can do to help find those solutions. And so I think, um, I hope, and what we continue pushing for, and I know the university is, is that our legislature, our legislature down in Jeff City continues to make it a priority to make sure that gets done so that we can be the leaders that we need to be as a, as a university and as a state. We've not talked about the Next Gen Center on this program, and I hate to put you on the spot because yeah. it's probably better to have the the dean of engineering or, or the the president <laughs> of the university tell people about it. But can you? I, I'll try. The things that I know is that uh, this is the largest construction project in the entire history of the university, yeah, uh, and probably in our town. Uh, but what can you tell us about the Next Gen Center? What 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 is it uh, for the the person who does not really pay close attention to university stuff? Yeah, you know, that would probably be a better question for yeah. those at the university, but I know it has a lot, you know, what they're working on is a lot to do in precision health, a lot, also a lot within the research. Um, of, and, and from my understanding, it touches about every single uh, college or, you know, program that they have there. It might be in ag or it might be in medic, uh, the, the medicine program. It could be in engineering. It, it's, it's in all of them. So it's that, you know, it's that process that it's that research that touches all those and really how does this all come together and work together uh, to, you know, as one uh, process, if you will, uh, and finding solutions to today's and tomorrow's 
uh, problems. Yeah, so the hope is is that this will someday become one of the most respected institutions because mm-hmm. we're, we're combining the veterinary sciences program with the agricultural program, with the engineering program, with the yeah. journalism program, and then you have this big healthcare component going into it. And, yeah. and um, so, yeah, it's, it's, how, it's hard to get your head around it, but, it, but it's it a is. big deal for our community. It really is, and and how all those link together, uh, and why they should link together, and what does that mean? And and it is really one of those things. It is, it's in our community, and it's for our community, but it's really for the state and the nation uh, to really be a leader in that research field uh, to make Missouri to continue uh, moving Missouri forward and continue moving our university forward. Yeah, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, uh, the COVID nineteen crisis, and I know that has been. uh, I'm sure that uh, you're like the rest of us. Uh, if you never have to have another Zoom call, you're you're going to be fine with that. Uh, yeah. I, I have found out they're a little bit more efficient than than the face to face meetings, but uh, uh, and so maybe we'll have more of those. But but uh, yeah. enough for now. But it is a. Um, I know that the chamber uh, hosted something this week uh, for for business leaders. Talk a little bit about uh, just sort of uh, your approach uh, to this crisis mm-hmm. and and what what role do you see yourself playing. You know, we, we really kind of took two approaches. When we approach something like this, uh, we kind of look at it at a, in a three-step process. One, The first step is what's happening, what's going on, kind of the who, what, when, where, and why. Uh, uh, let's get our arms and our heads wrapped around what's happening. The second step in there is how do we lessen the pain? Um, and then the third step is how do we rec- what is recovery and relief? So whenever you take those three steps, you look at it for our an organization like the Chamber, we look at that as a, you know, internally, how do we walk through those steps? Because like every other business, we're taking a look, you know, we've got, we've taken a hit on our revenue. Um, how do we do our programs? How do we, you know, think like that? What do we do with our staff? How do we make sure that we're keeping our staff and our customers safe? And then the external side of that is how do we work with our business community? So one of the things that we really early on uh, started taking a look at once we saw this coming and then, okay, what can we do to help our community uh, business community lessen the pain, if you will. And so we really took a look at, okay, information is one of the things that we can help get out. You know, we have uh, a, a good uh, presence legislatively, both uh, in the state and also on the national level. We've got some great um, connections with the U.S. Chamber and some of our national associations. So how can we take that information and make sure that we're getting in the hands of our members? And so we started doing our webinars. We started usually doing two a week. Uh, like you said, we had one earlier this week, um, and we're doing those on a regular basis, trying to make sure that we're pushing that information out. And one of the things that uh, we put out to our board, and our board was uh, fully supportive on, is this, you know, we're a membership organization at the end of the day, but this information needs to be open to all businesses and all people out there uh, that they can have access to it. Because the only way we all succeed through this is that the business community as a whole succeeds, regardless of membership or not. You know, and we've been pushing out our webinars to our surrounding chambers um, and through our state chamber. You know, if any of our surrounding chambers are, they're kind of got us broken up into regions. You know, if any of your members want or any of your business community want to come in and listen to these webinars, they are welcome as well because we need everybody around us to be successful also. And and so that's really what we took the role out immediately uh, and uh, started working with. Yeah. You know, we'll get into uh, some of the uh, nuances of how a small business deals with this versus a large business. But, but, uh, you know, one of the things that – 
has been sort of shocking is to watch the unemployment rate in yeah. Colombia. And, you know, we're, we're a town that is consistently the, uh, has just about the lowest unemployment rate in the entire state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've always, uh, hovered, you know, around 2% or less. Um, yeah. you know, and so we went from having 25 unemployment, 2,500, uh, people unemployed in, in Boone County in February. That number, for early March, I guess jumped, and I think the the measuring period stops around March sixteenth. But just yeah. as, as it was really getting underway here in Columbia, uh, but the the number had jumped to ninety four hundred, yeah. um, which was you know kind of a scary number. And we're we're expecting to see another uh, mm-hmm. you know number here in the next few days that will probably be even more shocking. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? You know, it's it's so hard to. You know, just remember 40, you know, 40 days ago, if not less, our, our discussions around workforce were around we have more jobs than we have people, especially in the skilled labor areas. And how are we working with that? You know, in the chamber, we started putting together a division and an initiative to work in workforce development uh, in that arena. And now all of a sudden we're having to shift gears to, all right, we potentially and it looks like we're going to have more more people than we do jobs. And so what does that workforce development structure now look like? Uh, and how do we start working with uh, our citizens and the people within our community and within our region to find those jobs and what jobs are there? You know, and, and the, one of the things that's been good about Columbia is we've got a, such a diverse uh, business base, if you will. We're very, you know, of course, higher education, insurance, and healthcare are our big three economic drivers, but we're also not just relying up on one industry. Uh, so we've got a very diverse industry base. And so that does help us weather these storms a little bit, but it's the the part that we're going to have to continue working on in the recovery side of this is what does workforce development look like now? How do we start making sure we have we can put people back to work? Part of the challenge is, is with the businesses, a lot of the businesses we talk to is they really don't know where they're at. They know where they're at, but they don't know where it's all going to kind of flesh out mm-hmm. in the next 30 days, next 60 days. What does that look like? to their bottom line and their customer base. Um, and so that's part of what we're starting to talk to our businesses about. What is this going to look like as, as we, and as you said, and we believe our unemployment numbers are going to continue to rise as we've seen everywhere else. Yeah. You know, it looks like the sectors of the economy that have been hit the hardest, uh, seem to be hospitality, the service yeah. industry, you know, so you, you have your retail, you have your hotels, your restaurants, and those are the folks that probably are going to require uh, a significant amount of training in order to incorporate. I yeah. think some of those service businesses are going to go away. It sounds like, um, and uh, but then getting these folks trained up to go, you know, work for the Veterans United or, or you know, work for yeah. these other companies that have had a hard time filling those spots. Yeah, it's you know, and that is going to be. You know, not, we're all all of our businesses are having to take a look at how they do that differently. And what what is the new norm on training? How do you hire people? And I think you, you brought up Zoom meetings a minute ago. And I think part of what businesses are having to take a look at also is okay. So do we keep part of our workforce at home? Um, looking into the future, you know, is this now a remote department? And how do I train my current staff? But then how do we train uh, some of those in the unemployed? 
uh, field that we can bring into, you know, like you said, Veterans United or some, you know, some of our other businesses and get them trained into that method. Yeah. When we come back from this break, we'll uh, continue our conversation with Matt McCormick, who is the president of the Columbia Chamber of Commerce. And we'll, we'll kind of dive down and, and talk about how COVID-19 has specifically affected Columbia businesses at all sizes. And uh, we'll continue our conversation about how we will recover from this. You're listening to the Inside Columbia Show. I'm Fred Perry. This is Hot Top 93.9 The Eagle. He's breaking down what's going on inside Columbia. It's Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the Inside Columbia Show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Fred Perry. I'm visiting with Matt McCormick, who is the president of the Columbia Chamber of Commerce. And we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 on Columbia and Boone County businesses. And Matt, uh, kind of uh, when you first started to see this unfold, um, kind of what was your reaction? Uh, you know, there I guess there were some warning signs, but I don't think any of us ever imagined that we'd be uh, closing down businesses for six or seven weeks uh, in this yeah. vibrant economy. So talk a little bit about uh, the early indications and, and how this kind of st- popped up on your radar. Yeah, you know, it, it's exactly like you said. Everybody knew it was it was there, and and everybody saw you know some of the news reports what was going on in other countries. Um, but I, I don't think any any of us were really prepared for the impact that this would have. You know, I actually was with the uh, I was at a meeting with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and uh, over a number of different things. But what the, our meeting shifted to was discussion of this, and uh, whenever I got back from that was kind of whenever everything. Uh, went went crazy, and you know. So, I think what a lot of the challenges and a lot of uh, you know business not being caught off guard. But okay, how do we work in this? It's not a normal natural disaster, and most everything you know. Even as just talking to this uh, SBA, one of the biggest challenges they had getting through this was, you know, we're prepared for a disaster recovery from a tornado or from a hurricane or a flood. This is like a hurricane that has set on top of the uh, on top of our nation and hasn't moved in a month and a half, two months, if you will, yeah. almost. Yeah. And how do we? How does this work? And what is all of our roles in this? And you know, the business community talking to them and and seeing what all they were having to deal. And I'll tell you, the the day that we did the stay at home order, and I did that was part of that press conference. Honestly, was probably the worst day of my professional career. Hmm. Um, you know, I never thought that I'd be a part of having to do something like that. But when you start taking a look at that, you know, you had to take a look at what's the best for the health and safety of everybody, what's going to be the best for our uh, hospitals so that they can continue to do the service that they do and take care of the people that, you know, and that was also the challenge. Nobody knew what that flood of that influx of people, um, of those cases were going to be, uh, but having to get prepared for that. And so, uh, there was a lot of unknown, but a lot of what was amazing was to see how everybody came together to to figure it out. There was a lot of decisions being made um, around our community and our region and our county with so little information. Yeah. You know, I think I think about you know you get a little deeper into it. 
the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program. And, you know, all of our financial institutions were given a product without a process. Mm-hmm. And the amazing work that they did to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so th- that was prob- that was one of the things that I saw that was, um, you know, the encouraging side was the resilience of and how everybody put pretty much everything to the side and said, okay, how do we figure out, figure this out together? Because there is no playbook for this. Uh, And what does this look like? And we're having to go, we're going to have to make decisions off of very, very, very little information. Yeah. You know, you look at this and uh, I guess from a more holistic or or 30,000 feet above you, you see, well, here's Columbia in Boone County with a thriving economy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going into this very strong, you know, the stock market was doing crazy things. Uh, uh, You know, we had a, tremendous uh workforce shortage you know because businesses were growing in our community and then it's it's almost like you're just you the the brakes come to a screeching halt and um all of a sudden we have a very different perspective but i guess that looking at this at compared to other communities we went into it very healthy uh and and that's going to really play uh to our advantage i guess when we rebound your thoughts on that we we are, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of chamber uh, professionals across the nation, and one of the things, and you're exactly right, while Boone County and Columbia were, were going into this, we were going into this in a very, very, very healthy situation, a growth situation. Um, business was good. Uh, the dollar was good. You know, all that was going great. So we, we were going into this very healthy. I've talked to a number of chamber professionals that, you know, their economy was not as good or their community was not doing as well. And, and uh, this kind of took them for a loop even more than what it has for us. And so uh, in that way, I guess we're, we are a little bit blessed. And I, I remember early on, um, it was, uh, I think it was Nashville that got hit with the tornado right before all this. Yep. And so here's a community that's having to deal with a tornado, and then all of a sudden they're having to deal with this. It's, it's a double punch. And so whenever you look back onto it, you know, from that perspective, we really are in about as good a situation. Columbia had has was set up in about as good a situation to be able to survive this, but then also to be able to come out of this in the long run just because of how well things were going. I mean, you look around and our our current businesses were here, we're growing, we're hiring like crazy as much as they can. They were expanding their footprint even. Uh, you had uh, startups. Our entrepreneurial um, community was, was starting up like crazy. Mm-hmm. So there was some good things. You know, our university was growing. They were in a much healthier position than what they were, you know, four, five, six years ago. So we were in really good places. We walked into this. It doesn't mean it makes it easier, and it doesn't mean that it's not impactful or, or it's hurtful. But what it will help us with, I believe, in the long run is uh, the recovery process. Let's talk about some of the specific responses. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the large businesses. And, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it struck me. I, I remember probably honestly thinking to myself early on when I saw, I drove by and I saw the shelter insurance parking lot empty. I kind yeah. of thought to myself, wow, that's kind of an overreaction, isn't it? And, you know, having no idea what was coming down the pike, but, yeah. but, um, you know, so you, you saw shelter and veterans united really, uh, almost immediately. Uh, move their workforce out of the centralized yeah. locations. So talk a little bit about, about some of those efforts you saw. Yeah, so, you know, talking to them, and, and we've talked to so many of them, and it's amazing some of the things they did. I was talking to Matt Moore just the other day about the recovery process, and the way he put it is he, he was talking with Shelter. He was talking 
about, you know, we moved our staff out of here very fast for their safety and we're going to bring them back slowly for their safety. But it was, it was just like overnight, all of a sudden the parking lots were empty whenever you drove by them. But it was amazing to see what some of them did and how they, how they worked that to be able to make sure that their staff could work from home, make sure that they had the abilities to work from home. But then you also have those that you just have some positions that cannot work remotely. They have to be in the office um, in a lot of our large businesses and, you know, talking with Columbia Insurance Group and uh, um, some of the things they've done and then along with Veterans and Shelter is, you know, setting up zones to where, you know, you were in a certain zone. So you, you came in and you, you in, entered and exited the building in that zone. You stayed in that zone. Yeah. Um, and then that way, if, if somebody was to contract COVID-19, then it, they could isolate it where it was. Um, and then also just the resources that, uh, you know, Veterans United and the others put into uh, making sure that their staff is being taken care of through this whole process. Because, you know, working from home is a different concept for a lot of people, and it's a struggle for a lot of people maybe. And, and how do we make sure that we're taking care of our of our employees that are now in a whole new norm? You know, uh, my wife and I were joking about, you know, not joking, we were, just, we were talking about it, and it was like, you know, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm working from home. My wife is a speech-language pathologist, so she's doing teletherapy from home with mm-hmm. her patients. And then we have two kids that are trying to do school from home. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden, it's a new work environment. So watching what some of the, the resources that our larger companies have to be able to help their, their employees out to walk through that process and, um, you know, Zoom meeting fatigue, if you will, and, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and those type of things. And it's been amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe two months ago, three months ago, if you had asked uh, a major employer or even a small employer, hey, do you think your employees could get this work done at home? Uh, I'm sure there would have been a resounding, yeah, no way. Um, yeah. And uh, But, you know, it just seems like, I mean, this is going to have a permanent impact on just the way we view work. And, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think that a lot of people, uh, especially the millennials, have, have looked for an opportunity to have sort of an unconventional un- unconventional uh, uh, workplace. And, and so yeah. they're going to get it, I think. And, and it's one of those things where it's, it's changing our society forever. And uh, it was, of course, out of necessity, but yeah. opened our eyes to maybe a different way of doing things, which uh, is well, probably the, one of the silver linings. Yeah, it's kind of a new norm. It's, you know, I know a lot of companies, small, medium, and large, that are really taking a look at how they operate now. And, and you know, I've talked to a number of our, our businesses saying, you know, we've thought about taking this department and making this department a remote department, but we really never could figure out or, you know, but out of necessity, they had to. And they're like, okay, so we will probably keep that department a virtual department and no longer physically in, in a location. And so I think what you're going to, what you're seeing is uh, the businesses being able to pivot. They're looking at their future plans and their strategic plan and saying, okay, we have a new norm. What, how do we need to pivot to make sure that um, a, we can be uh, uh, effective during this new norm, but also successful and, you know, what are some things that, you know, maybe we don't need to do the, this type of thing. Maybe we can have these folks stay working at home. And um, I think you'll probably find some people that never thought they could work from home realize, hey, working from home might not be a bad idea. Yeah. And, and I wonder, you know, I've been on this tirade for the last few weeks about uh, Amazon and encouraging everybody to stop <laughs> shopping on Amazon yeah. and, and support your local businesses. But, you know, I think. 
um, maybe one of the things we're discovering is that the customer interface can be different. Uh, that that yeah. uh, perhaps some of these great mom and pops uh, boutique retailers that we love in downtown Columbia, maybe they can sort of expand their world. You know, because now you know people are are becoming accustomed to not necessarily having to have that personal touch or that personal yeah. service. Uh, you know, so maybe you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, it'll it'll uh, change the way we we support. Uh, smaller businesses and local businesses. Yeah. You know, and as the chamber, I never thought I'd, I'd see the day that chambers across the nation are telling people to shop online, right? That, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. a gets our, yeah. that's against our very nature. Right. But what we've also realized, um, and, I, and you see it all over, what you've realized is you can still shop local online. Yeah, absolutely. You and know, that's, it's, it's probably pushed so some much. people to get it done, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've seen a lot of our small businesses really step up their game saying, you know what, we've always talked about having an online presence. Now we have to. Let's get this done. And they're doing well with it. And people are like, oh, I can still shop downtown, downtown Columbia shops. You know, I love going in there in person, but until I can... I can still shop at, at, at a bunch of our downtown locations and say, and support our local uh, over the internet. I mean, it's it's um, you know nothing will ever replace the person to person interaction, but that interface can be different, and you can still shop local and support those local businesses, and those local businesses can grow their their virtual footprint, if you will. Yeah, uh, on how they do that. Dan Meehan is the president of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce, and I mm-hmm. heard an interview with him this week where he said. Uh, that 15% of Missouri businesses would close as a result of COVID-19. I think he was being very uh, optimistic. Uh, You know, I, I've seen numbers where as many as 40% of businesses might close as a result of, of this crisis. Um, what do you think is going to, I mean, and you know, you're going to, I know you feel inclined and obligated to give a, a, a optimistic answer, but, (laughs) but, but, you know, realistically, I mean, are we going to see a lot of businesses just disappear in the next coming in the next few months? You know, I think I think time will tell more on that. It's hard to find because I've heard the same numbers you have. I've heard everywhere from fifteen percent to forty percent, and uh, a lot of economists and different folks really taking a look and seeing what that's going to look like. And I think time will tell what that is. Um, I think a couple of factors that's going to one of the factor that's factors that's going to dictate that some is. How do we come out of this? And if we have to turn around and, you know, let's say three months and go back to a stay-at-home order, I think that could be even more detrimental that it could cause that number to go higher, you know, because I know, you know, a lot of businesses are using their reserves now or their, you know, their their excess funds now to keep their doors open and keep their people employed. Will that be around, you know, if we have to go back into this three months from now for whatever reason, you know, whatever that might be, you know, just kind of looking out into the future. But I think time will tell and kind of how we come out of that. And that's why we've been talking. It's a, it's a very thin line that we're walking down of wanting to get our businesses back open, wanting to get things, you know, the economy back running, but also doing it in a responsible, uh, methodical manner uh, so that we don't revert backwards. Yeah. Um, because I think that that's what will really dictate that, that a little more. As far as what those numbers are going to be, um, I, I don't know, you know, because yeah. uh, it's all over the board. And, and I think as we kind of come out of this over the next, Let's, I think the next three weeks, four weeks, really start telling yeah. the, the a better story on what that's going to look we'll like. We'll jump back into that. That's Matt McCormick, the president of the Columbia Chamber of Commerce. After this break on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle.
You're listening to Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the Inside Columbia Show. Fred Perry, your host this morning. We are visiting with Matt McCormick president of the columbia chamber of commerce and we've had a great uh, conversation about the impact of covid19 on local businesses and uh one of the big economic drivers in in this community of course is the university of missouri not only uh the largest employer but uh with uh 30,000 college students at the different colleges uh here in boone county um it is a big big consideration and and so we've sort of seen some mixed signals uh we we really got a nice positive optimistic uh response from president moon Choi about a week and a half ago saying yeah we're definitely gonna be back in the fall and then a few days later uh he sort of maybe softened his position which i think caused some concern in the business community w- what is your take on on sort of uh the difference between the university uh, being back in the fall versus not being back in the fall, uh, physically present students. Yeah, you know, and and man, I would I don't envy their position that they're in and the decisions that they're having to make about how do you know when and how do they repopulate the campus uh, again. But you know, the we and of course everybody is hoping that they are you know the university more than anybody, but all of us uh, throughout the community are hoping that. Uh, they are able to have physical classes and, and students back on campus. You know, the student population is, is part of the kind of the, the lifeblood, if you will, of Columbia. And one of the uniquenesses of Columbia uh, is that student population. But it's also outside of that, it's also a, a very large portion of our workforce uh, that a lot of our companies uh, rely on for their employees, especially seasonal employees. But it's also a lot of the, you know, they provide a lot of revenue and a lot of sales tax to the community as a whole because they are a buying population. Uh, and whenever you take 30,000, you know, people out of a community that's a buying population, that takes an impact. And um, so, you know, as they're, as they're trying to work through that, and um, we've been on many conference calls with them, and, you know, we as the chamber and as the business community are going to help in any way that we possibly can to uh, make sure that the university is, is going in the direction that they need to go and, and support them. Um, and like I said, I don't envy the, envy the, the decision they're making. And, you know, uh, Gary Ward, I think it was, that made a statement in a conference call I was on and said, you know, this isn't a light switch that we just flip back on. It's a mm-hmm. dial that we're going to have to turn up slowly. Yeah. Um, and as they're going through and figuring out, okay, what is this plan? What will work? What won't work? And you also have the challenge. I mean, part of the challenge they also have is, uh, I remember whenever I, I was that age, I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof, right? Yeah. We all were. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, whenever I was that age, I probably wouldn't listen to a whole lot of the stuff. Uh, it, it'd still kind of do what I want. And, but, uh, you know, then there's that side of it, that the health and safety side of it that everybody's got to take a look at. And, uh, so it's, a, it's a challenging decision to make and it's a challenging process, but we do desperately hope that they are able to have classes back again in the fall and, uh, that we have that student population here. Yeah. You know, another silver lining. I, I think that uh, it, it stop makes us stop and sort of reflect on sort of the good things that we have going on here in Columbia. And, and you know, I I don't like the fact that the students take up all the parking spaces in front of my yeah. favorite restaurant, you know, and I yeah. don't like that uh, uh, they're in my way when I'm trying to go somewhere. But, you know, the truth of the matter is it's it, our, our community lives and dies by the health of the university. And we found that out in 2015. And mm-hmm. uh, the repercussions from that are, are still being felt. And so, yeah. you know, we just um, it, but it does make us reflect on the fact that, uh, hey, uh, 
a good, healthy, strong university uh, is good for all of us. So anyway. Yeah, it's, you know, I remember the jokes always were around, you know, you love seeing the students go away at the beginning of the summer, but you love seeing them come back at the end of the summer because there's just something about having them here. Yeah. And I think it'll probably be a long time before any of us complain about, you know, our parking spots being gone or, uh, you know, things like that, you yeah. know, and, uh, um, because we I think a lot of people realized, you know, without the students here, how much of that vibe of Columbia uh, goes with them. Yeah. My wife and I were joking this week because uh, driving downtown, it, it reminded us of when we were college students during the summer in the 1980s, you know, and, and that's what Columbia used to be like yeah. uh, in the 1980s during the summer. There was nobody you know, on, on the streets downtown. And, and so it just, uh, of course, our kids who are in their 20s never have never seen Columbia like that. Yeah. So it's been, it's yeah. kind of a real eye opener. But, um, well, in the seven years I've been here, I've never seen Columbia's downtown streets look like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is, it is an eye opener without a doubt. Yeah. So when you, w- let's talk about economic recovery and what that's going to mm-hmm. look like in Columbia. Um, you know, um, one of the, the things that I have, been trying to communicate to my constituents and just people that I talk to is that we really have to do a much better job of supporting our local businesses, uh, our locally owned businesses, you know, the restaurants, the retailers. Uh, we, we really have to resist this temptation to shop with Amazon because of the convenience. I, I think that hopefully this is a wake up call for a lot of local retailers to have more of an online presence. But, you know, we just, we're going to have to go out and shop and spend and, and, uh, eat at restaurants like we never have before just to help these people recover from these devastating losses of revenue. I mean, it's, it's been huge. And so, um, what, what do we do? How do we educate the public? How, how can the, the average person listening to this radio program play a role in helping Columbia's economy recover? You know, and I think you're exactly right. You know, we're just going to have to look at, you know, if you have the means available, making sure that you're, you are spending that money here locally and that you're, you are helping those local companies and whatever you're purchasing, how do you purchase local? And it's, you know, I was on a conference call with the university and there was a, somebody, and I'm forgetting who it was, but they made the statement that, you know, this is really our, our economy is shifting from a global economy now back down to a local economy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a localization yeah. of the economy now. And which was a great aspect, you know, you start taking a look and you, you think back to what your, you know, your, your grandparents or even your parents and how local your economy was there, how things were manufactured there and purchased there. And it's really almost that type of concept that we're going to have to take a look at and work towards uh, as we b- build back into a global economy. And so I think, you know, everywhere from shopping local, making sure that uh, you're going out to eat, uh, making sure that you're buying your groceries local, but also, you know, if you're a company doing a construction project, how important it is that you lo- use our local contractors, uh, you use our local builders um, and those trades whenever there's infrastructure uh, projects that uh, can be done. Infrastructure is a great uh, tool to rebuild an economy uh, on those infrastructure projects, but how do we make sure that uh, those infrastructure projects are using uh, our local contractors that have the ability to do those jobs that are providing local jobs so that people can spend money locally. And that's what's going to help rebuild the economy. Yeah. And, you know, from a selfish county commissioner standpoint, you know, those sales tax revenues allow us to do an awful lot of things with police and fire protection. And, and uh, you know, it's just it's valuable. And, and uh, you know, it's 
uh, when you spend those dollars locally, it all sort of comes through the pipeline, and it's a very healthy ecosystem if it we is. feed it. But if we don't feed it, it just sort of lingers, and, and uh, we've got to find a way to do that. It kind of lags and it bumbles along, but this also shows the importance, if now more than ever, shows the importance of the Wayfair uh, online sales tax. Yeah. Yep. I absolutely. mean, uh, you know, even shopping, you know, shop local online. But the challenge with that is a lot of times that those the local sales tax are not processed through because we don't have that done at the state and at our local level to where we can get that done and the importance of getting that put in place so that, you know, our county and our city that rely so much on those local sales tax can continue to do so. Yeah, and this is Fred Perry saying this, not Matt McCormick. But you know, yeah. uh, the, hopefully, this is a, a little bit of a of of a wake up call for some of these uh, legislators, especially those in the conservative caucus, my own party. Uh, yeah. You know, because I mean, look, this is something that again, it's a it's an ecosystem, and and you can't extract money and revenue out of it and expect it to continue to thrive. You know, you got to feed mm-hmm. it. So anyway, yeah. um, what about a resurgence? I mean, that I think that is Stephanie Browning's biggest fear, and that's hard for a business owner to understand. Yeah. You know, the, the, the chat on Facebook is, is kind of negative because it's, it's an awful lot of power for one person to have uh, a health director being able to shut down businesses. But, you know, the, she is really uh, super sensitive focused hyper focused on uh keeping this thing from returning because if it does return the impact is going to be far greater talk it about your be. perspective yeah yeah it will be and you know and i've been on constant uh communications with stephanie and um her team there and i tell you first and foremost <laughs> again they're another group i would i'm not envious i wouldn't i wouldn't want to be in the position trying to make the decisions they're making and I know they've been, you know, uh, this has been challenging going through for everybody, but every time we've reached out to them to ask for guidance for some of our businesses, hey, we've got this situation or this situation, can you give us some guidance here? They've been spot on and, and have helped put that out. And, uh, you know, and I, I think you said exactly right. She's very conscious of the fact that she wants to make sure that this is a kind of that dial going back to that switch versus the dial that this is truly a dial that we can ratchet up so that we don't go back into this because she is high. She is very, very concerned. Um, and as we all are that if we do, like you said, if we go back into this, the, how detrimental that could be, uh, if we go through a second round, if we don't do this right, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to take everybody's participation in it. Um, it's going to take everybody, everybody doing their part of it. Uh, to make sure that we're we're doing it right to show that we can be responsible and move these things forward. You know, whenever the new stay-at-home order came out, the extension to, you know, the extension, the one part that they did open up in that was, you know, the retail side of it, that all of our retailers can start at minimum at least doing the, um, the uh, curbside service. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of that seeing how is this going, is everybody behaving the way they need to behave and make sure that we're not seeing an increase, and I don't think we have. And so the more that we continue to do things right, the better the chances are that it won't. And we can continue going that focus down that path. And, but I can tell you, she is, she's in constant communications with our business community um, and, and has a very big concern uh, and a very big heart about making sure that we don't put our businesses back into this situation again. Yeah. Uh, in the last yeah. couple of minutes here, we have a minute and a half left, but I want to talk a yeah. little bit about uh, sort of uh, use your Harvard Business School degree or your Wharton yeah. School degree here to, to sort of uh, what's going to be the difference between the business who survives 
the small business who survives and the small business that that unfortunately doesn't make it. What what do you think is going to be the determining factor? Pivoting. Uh, being able to pivot, take a look at your future plans. You know, uh, there's a new norm and how are we going to work in that norm and being willing to pivot your business structure, being willing to pivot how you do business, who your new customers are, maybe even a new product, uh, but starting to pivot that and look at how can we, how do we work in the new norm? Mm-hmm. If, if you continue to try to do what you were doing two months ago and think that as soon as this is over, everything's just going to go right back to the way it was. Uh, I think that's where you're going to see a struggle. But those that are willing to take a look at how can, how do we need to work in the new norm? I think those are the ones that do better. Yeah, I think that uh, pivot is going to be the 2020 word of the year, you know, because uh, you've just heard it so much. And, and but it's it's critical. And I think that even yeah. before a crisis, I think that that as business owners, we should be thinking, well, you know, uh, what, you know, how can we reinvent our business every year? You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. and, uh, and just change the way we do business. But, uh, yeah. Matt, I appreciate the time that you've taken Thank with you. us this morning. It's, it's great to hear from the Chamber of Commerce and, and, uh, you know, this is a tough time for businesses. And I, I think that, yeah. uh, I want to echo some of the things that Matt said. We just got to get out there and support our local businesses and, and yeah. remember that it's sort of a, a, a trickle down. You know, there, there are people that are affected that you would never think were being affected by this, this crisis. And so, um, we, we just got to get out there and, and, spend and shop and and keep our dollars local but matt mccormick thank you for your time this morning good to be with you appreciate it thank you fred all right you've been listening to the inside columbia show i'm fred perry i'll see you again next saturday morning on hot talk 93.9 the eagle this city is my city and i love it yeah i love